You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geek's Watch. We're here talking Westworld Season 2, Episode 6. Is it 6? No, 7. 7. 7. Yeah. All right. Uh, the title of the episode... Les Escorches. Les Escorches. I'm not good with the other languages, folks, so uh, bear with me. Uh, but yeah, I've been called a cunning linguist. Ooh, I don't think anybody's ever called you that. <laughs> uh, but anyways, we we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about the newest episode of uh, Westworld, and then we're also going to. But of course, we're gonna talk about some geek news. Uh, what's going on in the world of Hollywood and uh, all the all the shows that we like to watch, all the movies we like to watch, all the news we like to keep an eye on. First things first, Stranger Things. They're expanding their universe. Yes, they're infiltrating the world of print. How do you feel about this? I like it. What what? Uh, from what I understand, it's three three different books that they're going to be producing. Yes. So for starters. Um, I believe coming this fall, we're going to begin with a uh, sort of a behind the scenes of Stranger Things book uh, to explain, you know, special effects, settings, uh, um, so character more like a production bios. book. Yes, essentially. Okay. Uh, probably behind the scenes stuff and concepts art that we haven't been privy to and things of that nature. Uh, pretty standard fare. Um, the following book after that should be a sort of a guide to the upside down. Uh, so very similar to uh, you know the, your guide to the zombie apocalypse, what to do, how to hide from a demigorgon, you know that type of thing. Advice for teenagers that are dealing with uh, changes of both their body and their minds. <laughs> in, uh, what do you do when your best friend gets eaten by a demigorgon and you can't tell anybody else about it? Yes, uh, when you start experiencing those changes that occur when you uh, are the host to some kind of space lug. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that'll be the two main ones because those will probably be the easiest ones that can like crank out. Uh, and then sometime next spring, we should have the first official book, which is going to be detailing the story of Eleven's mother uh, when she comes into contact with uh, the Hawkins lab, I suppose, and uh, Dr. Brenner. Yeah, I mean, I, I assume that the, the program has a different name uh, before it, it ends up in Hawkins lab. I mean... Yeah, it's based on the real-world MKUltra like mind control program i suppose right. and the uh, mind expanding experiments of the 60s and 70s um and uh, i'm sure that'll have an official name within this world because we'll see more of it when what's going on with it so that'll be interesting to see like a little bit more of what happened there we'll probably be introduced to more characters that we'll eventually see in the live action show as well um uh, such as potentially uh you know um El uh, not 11 who was uh, was it eight the one that we saw in seven that was seven wasn't it because it was her number it was her episode the episode seven episode seven was seven yeah i thought she was eight maybe it was eight i, I could be wrong yeah but anyway yeah we'll probably see some of the other uh kids that were experimented on and uh, you know probably be filled with a lot of little easter eggs and hints for future plot lines so i'm interested so and then, yeah that's i mean the idea that we're gonna have an expanded universe of stranger things like uh i mean we get that with comic books. We get that. Uh, we we had that with Star Wars. I don't. I mean, we definitely had that with Star Trek. So, does this does this show how much of a pop culture phenomenon that Stranger Things has become? Absolutely. I definitely think there's a lot of room for growth. I think there's going to be a lot of really cool ideas thrown out there. I mean, especially since we know that they said they're only going to do four seasons. Like that's. I mean, it's interesting that they would expand the universe when they know there's already a cap to when they're going to quit. I mean, does that mean 10 years down the line we're going to get uh, another uh, Stranger Things series, maybe set in the 90s? 
I mean, I don't see why not. And the way that I think Stranger Things was originally set to be uh, formatted, it was an anthology series right. where every season was going to be standalone. Right. And it's only because of the breakout success that they're like, oh, no, we got to keep expanding this one. Stay with so, these characters. So, I mean, I, I could see it turning into an anthology series where we see other... Uh, now, the, but the, one of the things that, that I think captures a lot of people... I mean, I love it for the stories, but I think a lot of people uh, got engrossed with it because of the nostalgia and the pop culture references and all that stuff. I mean, how do you do that in a book? Well, the, <laughs> I mean, I guess look at Ready Player One. It did it did it perfectly, right? Well, yeah, at Ready Player One, there was a lot of references to the book, and it was even recommended, like, oh, you know, for this part, put on this, you know, music in the background. Right, that's true. Um, so, and as a matter of fact, the I believe the author of the official, the first official novel, is going to be compiling a list of pop songs from the '70s and early '80s, uh, specifically for this reason for. Um, you know, anytime that they mention something's playing in the background or the radio, uh, you know, that could help set the mood or, mm. uh, you know, maybe it'd be even interesting if they release an original soundtrack specifically for the book. They're just like, hey, when you read it, just listen to this. I don't know if I could do that. I don't, I don't know if I can listen to music and read at the same time. Well, you may not have to do that because they're also going to be releasing official audiobook versions, which may also include that music, music as in the part of the uh, experience. Right. So uh, the 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 first official book, the, the the or I'm sorry, the production book is out this fall. It's called Stranger Things: The World Turned Upside Down, the official behind-the-scenes companion. And that and that that's this fall. Um, uh, Peter Jackson. We talked about this, I think, last week or maybe two weeks ago. Uh, they said, you know, the the rumor out there was that he has to decide between doing being involved in the Amazon Lord of the Rings show or going to do a DC uh, superhero comic book show movie. And uh, he's essentially come out and said he's not going to be involved in the Amazon Lord of the Rings show at all. And uh, no one, his exact quote for the DC movie was, that's not true. I had no discussion about that. I'm not a fan of comics. I've never read any. So I'm not particularly interested in adapting one for cinema. That's not true at all. Like he had to say twice, that's not true. So is this a case of, uh, I think she doth protest too much? Or is it she, he's just like, no, I I don't care about comic books. Yeah, it almost sounds like with a hint of contempt. The way <laughs> yeah, he said it, it was like, no. Well, maybe that might be the way I said it, but yeah, fair I enough. I was like, could you be more wrong about this? <laughs> Why would I ever want to do a comic book movie? Uh, I, I still stand. I still stand behind the fact that I think he would do a great Green, Green Lantern Corps movie. But I mean, if he doesn't want to do it and he has no passion for it, then no, don't do it. I don't want someone that's not being passionate about the project to not do it. Right. He could have done a good in humans if they tapped him to do that. Yeah, no, that would have been great too. Yeah, something with like a bit of mythicness involved in it. Mm-hmm. Some where you have to build a, a backstory, or build a world, you know, of, of mythology, like you were saying. That that would be great. Yeah. Uh, all right, Dave Batista has had two big. Uh, I don't want to say announcements, but he's had two big like uh, video game to movie involvements i guess (laughs) discussions in the in this past week uh he himself has gone on to say that one of the passion roles that he would love to do is he'd love to play uh marcus phoenix from gears of war like he would love to be the lead in that if they made when they make that into a movie and i would say take my money now right would be perfect casting (laughs) it would be perfect uh the other one is that stephen knight the director of um pacific rim uprising uh, said that in a God of War movie, he would make a that that Dave Bautista would make a great Kratos. Um, later years, Kratos, yes, I think the like the early Kratos is relatively, while still cut, isn't quite as huge as right. Bautista actually is. Um, but yeah, he would definitely make a great later in his life Kratos, and. Um, I'm not a big fan of that series. I'll be completely honest. I've never played any of those games. I only know about how hyped it is because of all the memes that come out from it. Well, apparently the the newest one is like one of the most amazing games ever. That's all I've ever heard. Yeah, that's... uh, I just see like King of the Hill memes regarding it. and um, But yeah, so I think it definitely... Could he do it? Absolutely. Sure. Do I I care about 
God of War, not necessarily. I, you know what? I I don't care about either of those games, but you know what? I will be the first one to see both of those movies because those are great IPs. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, more more power to Dave Bautista. He should he should be in more things. See, uh, Peter Jackson should do a Gears of War movie. That would be amazing. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think you'd be... I don't know. I don't it's know. basically like fighting orcs with guns instead of bows and arrows. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Uh, and you wanted to bring up that Matthew Vaughn is doing some crazy stuff over there with uh, his Marv Studios. Yeah, that thing's just like exploding like a supernova. So so, so far, he's already done like... Uh, he did Kick-Ass. He did um, X-Men First Class. He did uh, the Kingsman movies. Uh, Eddie the Eagle. These are all. I mean, except other than X Men First Class, these are all movies that were done at Marvel Studios. But now he wants to expand on some of those properties. Yes, he does. So starting with Kick Ass, he wants to reboot the franchise, and that may or may not mean uh, writing out the Dave Lazuski character played by uh, Aaron Johnson Taylor. Yes, thank you. I can never remember the order of those words. It might be Aaron Taylor Johnson, but I'm pretty sure it's Aaron Aaron Johnson Taylor. I think actually Taylor's in the middle. Or maybe so it's maybe Taylor it Johnson, a- Aaron. I don't know. <laughs> no, I know Aaron is his first name. So it's Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah, literally could be any one of those. Anyway, so uh, it's unknown if he would be involved or if the the Dave Lazuski character, the original Kick-Ass, would even still be in it. Because uh, if I understand it correctly, there's a new Kick-Ass character that's right. taken up the mantle. Yeah, Mark it's- Miller in, in the Kick-Ass comics has uh, passed the mantle along to uh, another person. Uh, you want It's it's um, Patience Lee, an African-American single mother who's taken on the vigilante mantle. Yeah, so it's unknown at this time, and I think Matthew Vaughn's being rather coy as to exactly which version he would go with. Uh, but it's probably pointing to uh, Patience Lee as being the lead. Um, he's also hinting at uh, still having Hit Girl involved, whether it would be an adult Hit Girl. Well, he wants to do a whole another. He wants to do a whole Hit Girl spinoff movie. Like they, there was talks of a Hit Girl spinoff movie after the second Kickass movie in general, with um, uh, Grace Chloe Moretz. But yeah, that ended all getting shut down. But it sounds like he still wants to do one, but now in a different capacity. Right. So it could still be an adult hit girl, or there could be an origin story with uh, Big Daddy and a young hit girl. Right. Which would then have to recast uh, probably both roles. I can't imagine Nicolas Cage still coming back for the Big Daddy, but he probably could pull it off. He might be able to pull it off, but I would I would say just recast somebody else. I mean, he is an me. immortal vampire, so like, uh, fair enough. Do it. It, this is true. So, uh, and besides that, we're also looking into expanding the Kingsman universe with uh, rounding out the trilogy. Uh, this is crazy. This, this, <laughs> when I was reading this this part of the article, this was this was nuts. Because uh, if you don't mind me taking over, Dude, go ahead. he's got the third Kingsman movie to finish out the trilogy. You got a uh, uh, a spinoff Kingsman movie that that's called The Great Game, which will explore the spy organization in the early 1900s. Then two films, uh, the, those two films will shoot back to back. Also, there will be an eight-hour Kingsman TV show, and then finally a Statesman film. If you watched Kingsman Two, uh, that's the Channing Tatum character, the American version of the Kingsman. Like that is a huge uh, multimedia cinematic universe there. Like. I, I loved the first Kingsman and I thought the second one was great too, but it didn't. I don't think as it got as much. The second one got as much praise as the first one, and I mean, to do all that can can that can it be sustained? I mean, he must know something we don't know <laughs> in order to get all of these things out there and just have like the cojones to be like, this is what we're doing and it's going to be amazing. And 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 from what I understand, I don't know for sure, but what I've heard in passing is that the comic book that kingsman is based off of is like nothing like what the movies are like yeah i think they veer like the main concept is the same but then they just wildly diverge right like immediately that's 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 very odd to me and then you forgot the uh the biggest announcement of all what was that uh, yeah, he also wants to produce an Elton John biopic. That's right. Marv Studios will also produce the Elton John biopic starring none other than Taron Egerton, who has been the the Kingsman in the last two movies, so, and Eddie the Eagle. So. Uh, so I wonder if this has to do with the fact that uh, Elton John was in the Golden Circle. I imagine that helped. So I imagine that helped. I would imagine during like the lunch breaks, the Elton John just regaled them with the most amazing stories. <laughs> and Matthew Vaughn was just like, wow. Is we- it weird? to do a biopic about him though with him still being alive 
I don't see why not. I, I mean, mean honestly, you can't do. I mean, it's obviously you can do it, but it just. I mean, I feel technically, like the, they were working on the biopic for Johnny Cash while he was still alive. I think he even had a say in the casting, and he gave his blessing for Joaquin Phoenix. Did he they? just happened did to he? die right before they started producing it? Okay, fair enough. Uh, I, I guess that's the same with the American Sniper guy too. He, yeah, that's true. Because he didn't Kyle, die until yeah. after after they finished filming the movie, and that's why they had to throw in those last like credit titles. Or, scramble a little yeah. bit, yeah. Uh, I think I maybe I'm I'm misleading that. Maybe I'm I'm completely wrong because well, they they have a scene of him meeting up with the guy that kills him and uh, the girl that plays uh well not the girl that plays but uh Domino, right? Whatever her name was. I mean she was Domino actually, Harvey. Yes. Oh, the one that Kira Knightley played. That's right. She was actually in her own movie. Oh. And okay. then she died shortly after. <laughs> I think it premiered. That's weird. Yeah, it was creepy. Okay, so uh. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff coming out of Marv Studios. If, if he's going to make all that stuff, more power to him. I, I, Matthew Vaughn's a great director, so I, I hope. And yeah. he was a producer before he was a director, so. And he's got a great screenwriter. And there you go. Very talented. <laughs> uh, Why are you shaking your head at me? Because I know what you actually mean. <laughs> Anyways, Jared Leto's Joker. This has been going around. So not only is there is DC still going to be making the the Joaquin Phoenix Todd Phillips, Martin Scorsese Joker movie. Jared Leto says that he is also going to get his Joker movie based off this the Suicide Squad movie. And I want to say this. Suicide Squad's not a good movie. Jared Leto's Joker is not a great Joker. But if you got rid of all that bullshit like tattoos and uh metal grill and stuff like that and just let him play the version of the Joker that I kind of saw in there, I think that it, it, uh, his his Joker could work out. Yeah, it's definitely a, a the potential is so great, and yet they can definitely squander it. I mean, he doesn't need to be this gangsta pimp guy that they were portraying in that movie. Definitely not. And you know what's interesting? I I I had this conversation on Reddit a while back about. Um, you know, like what's something? It was a challenge they put out on the, in the movie thread, which was like, well, we all know that Suicide Squad sucks, but can we at least focus on some of the stuff that was good? Like, can we at least recognize there were elements that were good? And I actually said, although I don't necessarily like the tattoos and like the gangster juggalo swagger that he has, right. I liked a lot of aspects of his portrayal. That silent intensity when he's not being like super goofy and i compared it to bob geldof in pink floyd's the wall okay when he goes into like his super fascist mode like i would like to see a fascist like styled joker because they're very similar in appearance yeah they got the slick back hair the no eyebrows the 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 vacant (laughs) intensity only difference is that this guy would have the uh occasional sense to make really bad jokes and you know then smile, whereas you know, Pink did not. But I, I really like that. I would like that aspect of a Joker that is an actual megalomaniac. That'd and, be crazy. And, and you know, basically, yeah, just like, like a, a I, I think that he could pull it off because Jared Leto obviously is a talented actor. Maybe he gets a little too much into the method if all those stories about the crap that he pulled on Suicide Squad was true. But uh, I have so many questions about the used condoms thing. It's terrible. <laughs> But yeah, um, I just think that why are we going to flood the market with all these Joker movies? Like there's those two. There's also supposed to be like a standalone Harley Quinn and Joker movie. Then, you know, maybe he shows up in Birds of Prey also because Harley's going to be in that. And, you know, eventually he'll show up in another Batman movie and then maybe another Suicide Squad sequel. It's just, I don't know. It seems a little much. Yeah, it's definitely overload. Uh, So, uh Okay, so the last story I wanted to bring up is uh, a little movie that Quentin Tarantino is doing called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is supposed to, from what I understand, is going to revolve around, uh, was it Leonardo DiCaprio's character playing a kind of uh, washed up cowboy actor, like who used to do a lot of westerns, and then Brad Pitt is playing his uh, stunt double, and in the background of this movie is going to be the Manson murders going on. And 
they have just been an, and it, from the sounds of it, I mean, with all these casting announcements that that is going on, it really sounds like we're going back to a uh, to like a Pulp Fiction version of Quentin Tarantino, because he has cast just about everybody in Hollywood at this point. Um, James Marsden, who we talk about in Westworld, Teddy Nader, the Teddy Nader. We're definitely talking about Teddy Nader later, uh, and Julie Butters from American Housewives. Damian Lewis, uh, if you know him from Billions Now, he used to be on a show, called, or he used to be on Homeland, he used to be on a show called Life, he was on Dreamcatcher, um, and he's going to be tr- portraying Steve McQueen, Luke Perry, uh, Dakota Fanning, um, Clifton Collins Jr., also from Westworld. Ah, uh, Lawrence. Yeah, Lawrence. Uh, Keith Jefferson, Nic- Nicholas Hammond. Uh, Timothy Oliphant, Burt Reynolds, Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, Al Pacino. Um, yeah, the, and the list goes on. I know that I know I'm, I'm probably missing a few, but what do you think of this cast? As it's as it's, and I, I believe Margot Robbie is supposed to be playing Sharon Tate, who I believe that's obviously correct. is a big part of the Manson murder uh, story. But what do you take about this what do you what do you take from this cast now tom cruise is supposed to be in there too somewhere <laughs> are you playing manson maybe that'd be awesome i thought luke perry was gonna play manson actually for honestly but i i guess he's already been cast as they've said who he's cast as i'd like to see vanderbeek as manson really yeah okay we're due for a vanderbeek ensemble. <laughs> are we now yeah okay um i dude i'm like super stoked i'm a huge tarantino fan and i i I don't think he's ever made a bad movie. Ooh, I mean, I, I I know we're talking about opinions here, but I am not a fan of the Kill Bill movies. Really? I'm not a fan of Kill Bill, and I'm not a fan of Jackie Brown. Ah, oh, they're such good. Po- really, Jackie Brown? You Jackie didn't like Brown, it? No. Oh my gosh! Re- but man. you know, Reservoir Dogs, one of my favorite movies of all time. And I know that he didn't direct it, but he wrote it. And True Romance, definitely my favorite movie of all time. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, Django, Django, I loved. Uh, Inglorious Bastards, I loved. Uh, what's the the latest one though? The one with the, the hateful eight. Hateful eight. Eh, it, it kind of was a little too slow and too like, hey, look at what I can do with these really wide angles, like movie. And, like it really didn't do nothing until the last couple, the last like twenty minutes of a three hour movie. So, <laughs> so I was like, ah, it's not. It wasn't that great, but it's still better than. I still liked it better than Kill Bill. Well, yeah, I guess it's all opinions and everything, but yeah. I think like even the least interesting Tarantino movie is still usually better than like what else it's currently playing against. Okay, uh, maybe I, I still have I have really a lot of dislike for Kill Bill. Now, is Tarantino kind of a dick and possibly a coke addict and really, really <laughs> full of himself? Absolutely. But I truly respect the man's commitment to the art of film. And even if you don't like it, I mean, he really puts a lot of heart into what he's doing. Like, it's one thing he, that, like, bleeds cinema. One thing, you know, no, that is, that is true. He, he knows film in and out, which is just amazing. But one of the things that I've, I've always said was, like, Tarantino is a white guy who wants to be a black guy who's fascinated with Asian culture and really in defeat. So he's the Jizza? <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, I just meant those are all his things. It's not ah. like one right after the other, but yeah. Well, that's what happens when you get re-sleeved too many times. Ah, so. fair enough. <laughs> now we know. Quentin Tarantino. You he's, know, uh, He's a meth. Uh, last story that we're going to talk about, though, is uh, something that you brought up. It's something uh, about a show that we talk about here, the show that started it all for us. So this essential... Is telling us that hey, we're still gonna have a, a show to talk about once uh, Game of Thrones goes off the air. Yeah, it's not gonna be all outdated and like non-valid uh, reference anymore. Yeah, so uh, HBO has officially ordered the first spinoff. It's going to be a prequel series uh, detailing the origins of essentially everything that we've been watching up until now. It's not gonna be the immediate prequel that I was hoping for, yeah, which was say, that Robert's most, Rebellion. Yeah, most of the time we, when we were talking about this prequel, we, we assumed that they were going to be doing the Robert's Rebellion story when we see the young Ned Art Stark and young Robert Re- Baratheon and stuff like that. Right, and then uh, other people have also thrown around maybe uh, a little bit further back in time detailing the Doom of Valyria 
and the rise of power of the first Targaryens that came over the Narrow Sea. Well, nope, this is going to take place way the hell before that. Uh, I think it's something like over a thousand years. Like maybe I want to say about maybe even 10,000 years. Hey, it even says right here, a thousand years before the events in Game of Thrones. Ah, a thousand years. Okay, so this is the time frame where basically everything happened. This was the Long Night. Uh, the the uh, the White Walkers invading uh, Westeros, uh, the Brand the Builder uh, building the Wall and Winterfell and a bunch of other structures uh, in the northern area of uh, Westeros, um, Azora High the prince that was promised and all of that shenanigans, the uh, the creation of the Night King by the uh, Children of the Forest, all of this stuff is basically going to be going on. It's almost too much because, like, even all of these events take place over the span of several decades. And, like, this is what the prequel series is going to be detailing. So I am both really, really interested in how they're going to display all this and also really worried that they might not really do it justice. But I'm sure they'll come up with something. And this uh, write-up that I'm, I'm looking at here is on the BBC.com uh, website. But you got, like, uh, they, it talks about the White Walkers. It talks about the Age of Heroes. But this one really thing that I wanted to talk or like, that I saw interesting was, like, uh, the Starks of Legend. During the Age of Heroes, House Stark moved to unite the North under a single king. They faced uh, concerted opposition from another family, House Bolton, who fought the Starks and even flayed their men and wore their skin. So... Uh, that's kind of, I, I would assume that's where they started their whole banner of the flayed man. Yep, that's, uh, there's a lot of bad blood from way back in the day. And um, the Starks being, uh, you know, super noble and everything, they strongly believed in making friends out of your enemies. But I don't know if I'd be able to sleep well at night knowing that my neighbors uh, used to skin my relatives. Yeah, that is, and then eventually with, uh, you know, I mean, in how it's in our past now, but the future from the, that point where, you know, Sansa Stark will eventually marry Ramsay Bolton and unite the two houses and yeesh. Yeah, that uh, whole mess. So what if, you know, this is the the first season of the, the prequel where we see the 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 golden age of heroes in the Westeros. And then the next season after that would be the, the doom of Valeria. And then that season after that is the, is Robert's Rebe rebellion and stuff like that. What if, what if it's essentially a game of Thrones anthology show? Like that's what I'm saying. Oh, I could see that. That would be interesting where, I mean, obviously it's every season is a new story and stuff like that, but they're all loosely connected by the fact that it's all taking place in Westeros. Maybe you mean get the Mad... Or no, I guess the Mad King is part of the, the Robber's Rebellion. Yeah. So. But you can get, like, uh, the original um, Aegon the Conqueror. Right. And um, his two sisters that came with him. And um, Beleriand, the Black Dread, the biggest dragon ever. So there's plenty oh. of places to go. As long yeah. as these shows are still doing well, I assume they'll, they'll try, still find ways to, to make it. So what about after... What about events that take place after the last season of Game of Thrones? Like, can you see... Uh, I mean, obviously, as Game of Thrones is now, we're past the point where it is in the book. So yeah. can can the, the creators at HBO go forward with it? Like, with the mythos and, and create new stories? And, like, where the descendants of... Uh, I don't know, Jon Snow, if he ends up surviving, or the descendants of uh, Daenerys... Well, here's what I would like to see, and I don't know if this would even be possible because of just how crazy it would be. I would like to have them build on the world that they're establishing. I mean, we already have all of the, the last seven seasons of Game of Thrones. We just need the last one. For this current timeline, we're going to get a well, an anthology series possibly detailing the, the thousand years prior. I would be really psyched if they made if they did do like a jump forward another thousand years and it was much closer to like our world except that game of thrones was their literal medieval history so think of like bright where it's almost a modern day setting but still having magical elements yeah there would still be like oh you know like magic may, may have been real but like that never that doesn't exist anymore and then it could be the reemergence of magic in a modern day setting I mean, I like it because I liked Bright, but I just feel like you'd lose a lot of people without the sword and shield stuff. Well, there's no reason why that couldn't come back. Like, what if, uh, 
you know, we're on the brink of nuclear war. There's like, we're basically like the grid has been demolished. So there's no, uh, you know, no more technology. We have the memory of technology, but because we have nothing else, we have to try to resort to other forms of power. So we, so go we back started to the Iron Age. We start looking more into uh, arcane properties. Uh, it could be Iron Age. Um, um, Steel Age, maybe. I don't know what you would call it, to be completely honest. I but think Steel Age is more around the Industrial Age, isn't it? Because you're, you're, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Steampunk Age. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that'd be actually kind of cool. Have it steampunky Game of Thrones. <laughs> That wouldn't be yeah, that wouldn't be bad. Yeah, so think of like Book of Eli. Okay. But with a Game of Thrones twist to it. So right. it's maybe it's a bit post-apocalyptic. How about that? I mean, what if we'd find out at the end of this season that Game of Thrones universe is already post-apocalyptic? This is like the golden age of heroes is a thousand years after our time. That's like, actually a theory that's been posited because of the wonky uh, system that they have for weather. Right. They think that some kind of cataclysmic cosmic event caused uh, our world to enter this system where we're all screwed up and that they try to basically correlate that magic is some sort of cosmic phenomena that humans just learned how to harness. Mm-hmm. So that is a possibility and I'd love to see that be explored more. There you go. So we'll have to wait till the, the end of the season or the end of the series I mean, we we got what like ten years still until we get to or ten years, ten months until we get to the <laughs> beginning of the last season, I believe. So that's that's it's it's quite a bit of ways. Okay, so while we wait for uh, Game of Thrones to get back, let's go ahead and get into what. I mean, we I mean, we we obviously have plenty of Westworld left, and then we'll I don't know I don't know what what's, what's going to be next for us. I mean, I, we're only on episode seven of Westworld. That there's probably ten episodes, just like usual. So after that, we'll we'll have to find some some new show to go week to week with. I mean, there's Lost in Space, there's Dark, there's all kinds of stuff. Lost in Space would be great. I already watched that, and I wouldn't mind going back to it. Uh, you remember there was that Dimension Four Hundred Four that I I mentioned. Uh-huh. Uh, that's over on Hulu, I think. Uh, there was Electric Dreams, which is mm-hmm. over on Amazon. So we could t- take a look at that. Those are both kind of Black Mirror esque, as I understand it. Um, then uh, I would assume we still have a little bit of time before we get to Westworld again. Yeah. I don't know when Stranger Things is supposed to come out. Probably not till next October. Next October? Not yeah. this October? Well, this October, yeah. Oh, so then we'll, well have... Which is the next one, Okay, right, I guess so. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, we got some time, but we, it looks like we have some shows to, to fill the space. Cool. Let's talk about Westworld Season 2, Episode 7. Le Escorches. Close enough. Okay. <laughs> I'll allow it. Uh, this, okay, I think in this episode, I finally, and I might be Johnny Kim lately or, you know, just now every all, all the other stuff has just gone over my head, but I think I finally understand what the different timelines are. Okay. So you have the one timeline where um, uh, Hale... Charlotte Hale and the rest of the Delos upper crust with a Bernard tagging along find the other Bernard uh, robots, the ones that have been killed, and they were hidden in a room, and uh, and they finally figure out that Bernard is a is a ro- is a host, and then she's kind of virtual waterboarding him to to get information, and she's asking him questions about the time when Dolores took over uh, the park. So then they have kind of like a flashback then to when Dolores is attacking the control center and Hale herself almost gets cut up by um, Dolores. And then while that is happening, Bernard and Elsie are traveling further into the rabbit hole by going into his brain, however you want to call it. And you see the, the Robert Ford there that is telling him telling bernard everything that's going like the idea of what westworld really was about and you know you know what is actually going on around here kind of thing and then uh when you jump out of that one robert ford is kind of inside of bernard's head now and he can take over his body so those are the three timelines at least three that i understand i think that sums it up pretty well yeah okay so I also, I still don't think that the world where Charlotte is interrogating 
uh, Bernard is a real world either. That's a simulation of that. Right. Because that's the one where you... Because at the beginning of that one is the one where... No. Damn. <laughs> Wait. Did... Yeah. Because the fucking um, Stubbs. That's his name, right? Fucking, yeah. Ashley Stubbs. Yeah. The, 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 the quality control guy. Yeah. He walks up... He's up on Bernard and he's like, Hey, you need to tell them something or something like that, right? Yeah. He walks up to him and he says, Hey, I think uh, they're not going to let us get out of here alive. Then um, we got to like plan a break for it. Right. So that's the one where I think, and you pointed out before, is like everybody kind of asks Bernard questions and then waits to see what he's going to say or they do things and they see how Bernard reacts kind of thing. So that's the one where I think it's a, a simulation that Bernard doesn't understand that he's in. He thinks that he's still alive or whatever. So it's kind of like a dream within a dream for Bernard right now. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> Meanwhile, you have stuff like what's going on with uh, William and his, you know, and him getting shot up by uh, Maeve and her being able to take over people is happening. And then Dolores and the Tedinator are still, you know, trying to make their way to the Valley of uh, the Valley Beyond with what we now know is the key to open up the Valley inside of her father's head. Yes. So. All in all, uh, we have all these converging plot lines. We have uh, the hosts are invading the Mesa. You have uh, Bernard inside the cradle talking to Ford before he takes him out. Um, you have, which apparently was part of the master plan, which is to destroy the cradle, which is actually something that the hosts want because they don't want their backups. Somehow they feel that these, even though these would guarantee their longevity, they feel like they're tethered by this, that somehow it prevents them from uh, reaching their full potential. Right, because if you have a lifeline, you, there's something kind of like in Batman, The Dark Knight Rises. You know, if you, ha you know that you're attached and if you fall, you're still going to survive. You'll never make the, the leap far, far enough to, to, to get to the other edge. So the idea is that if they know they can, if they die, they have a backup, they can come back. They, they aren't actually living. Yeah, and boy, do a lot of them die. My favorite sexy corpse face, Clementine, got shot up. <laughs> yeah, and Tula, I don't know if that's her name or the actress's name, but she uh, blew uh, herself up. Yeah. Which, actually, now that we uh, discussed that she's finally taking off her crown of thorns, it turns out that's not actually thorns. What was it? Uh, she went to Twitter to confirm that those are actually uh, dried up, crusted fingers from her uh, enemies. So she went full Vietnam on us, huh? Yes. Wow. At least they weren't ears. But if they were ears, we probably would have been able to see what they were. Yeah, you would have bit been able to tell a little bit more. Plus, it would have looked goofy too, having all these ears on your face. But, but you know, even if it was fingers, like it's obviously supposed to be, you know, referencing to a crown of thorns. Oh like, yeah, yeah. As I mean, we talked the, last week, there's a lot of the religious symbolism in here is not subtle. No, not at all. So uh, cool fingers. Yes. Awesome. Which actually does call back to, uh, I think it's one of the last two episodes of the last season when um, Angela is basically using herself as bait and William is like, oh, it's you. Like, oh, he yeah, that's her. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the other hosts that were scavenging um, other bodies, that was the first thing they started doing was clipping fingers off. That's right. That's right. So that was like, oh, that's a callback. That, that makes sense. So uh, I loved it. Well, one the guy that she ends up killing with the bomb like what a fucking moron right like you have to know <laughs> it, it, they've only been killing everybody that's on your team and then you're gonna just sit there and be like oh yeah she is sexy oh my goodness you are drop dead drop dead gorgeous hey, oh, i'm not gonna lie that would have worked on me yeah but come on <laughs> he's supposed to be this trained elite fucking badass and and uh, he lets her get that close and obviously she's a robot she can do whatever and well i'm gonna say that the meaning behind that was to show that like that's the purpose she was built for and that she's still working it basically that, that she she's can really still good at it yeah like like i have one job in this world and like i'm like damn it i'm gonna go out with the bang doing it so uh yeah she ends up taking out all their their backups uh and um it's unfortunate that she's not going to be in more of it. I, at least I feel. Her yeah. and Clementine. 
but maybe they had another like i mean we saw how many bernard bodies they had in that one little room who's to say there isn't all these other yeah uh, but if you don't have a, a backup to go into those then i mean from what i i don't i have no idea how it works but i would understand if the body dies then the the the, the brain ceases to function then those memories are lost if there's no backup I suppose so. I guess we'll just have to see because there definitely are a lot of questions remaining after this episode. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot. There's a lot of questions remaining. Um, uh, yeah, and then, uh, I mean, I I don't know. I, I the Ted Nader. He was so cold. Like I liked. I liked that they all kind of, except for Dolores, they all jumped into the 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 flak jackets and the you know the commando wear and stuff like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because they took the 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 operative clothes off those one one guys that were supposed to be the backup or whatever, and uh, they're they're wearing that. Like Teddy's not in his um, cowboy outfit anymore. He's in this like army commando outfit. Yeah, and uh, I guess they explained that the commandos were using some kind of haptic feedback body vest. I didn't quite understand. That. I to me it made it made me think that the the vest tells them where the enemy's at. Yes. So basically, you notice that they had like all these little red dots on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, the the dots are supposed to represent where somebody was. Visually, it what it's telling us is like if uh, you know the red dots show up somewhere on the vest, that's the direction that the enemies are in. Right. Now, that's not really good for being like covert. No. But uh, visually, I mean, there's no way that you can be told visually, like, oh, my suit is vibrating me in this direction. Because mm-hmm. that's really what it's supposed to be. Like, right. It just, um, you know, you're standing, you know, facing north and you get like a slight buzz, you know, to like the three o'clock position on your body. That's telling you, okay, you got to turn 90 degrees clockwise because there's something, something over there, essentially. So, yeah, but, you know, visually, you got to represent that with lights and. I mean, it's a cool idea, I guess, but it didn't really seem to help them because they all ended up getting slaughtered. Yeah, they did. Get, they ended up getting slaughtered. Uh, the the one time when when Bernard goes to uh, mess with that control system that that one lady that's a a black op operative was using uh, as everybody's getting killed in the control room, um, it seemed like he was walking through there and no one was paying any attention to him. Does that seem weird to you? Yeah, it's it, almost like maybe this wasn't really happening. It was more of a another sim- memory or something like it all happening at the same time kind of thing. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, because he, he's sitting there watching these people get slaughtered, both sides, host and human alike. And then she gets up from her console to go deal with somebody. She's giant fucking knife. And then uh, he just walks over and starts typing something on there, which is to shut down the whole system or something like that, right? And then he just starts pounding on the the control panel to break it. Yeah, so it's like, haha, you can't unmake what I just did right now. Which is all under the influence of uh, Ford. Yep, so Ford is hitching a ride in the Bernard train. Let me ask you this. The dog in the the bottom world. I don't know. The cradle? Yeah, in the cradle. Like, that has to represent something, right? That has, I mean... Ford keeps that dog right next to him throughout the whole thing. It has to be some type of extra storage or something, right? I would guess so. I mean, yeah, because we saw, like, the dead dog or the the body of the dog in the Ford's office. Um, I mean, I remember them mentioning more specifically in Season 1 the significance of the dog, how... Um, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, they, they mentioned it briefly during when uh, Bernard stumbled into... Ford's like little private house where he had like his old copies of his oh, younger self. Oh, that's right. Yeah, didn't yeah. he have to do something about killing the dog or yeah, he killed the dog had, and blamed it on something else? It had to do with killing the dog and blaming it on someone else. And um, back then, that was symbolic about how Ford used Bernard to kill Elsie, uh, Therese, or oh, whoever. Yeah, yeah Okay. And uh, yeah, that was like supposed to be like really heavy-handed metaphor, but yeah, the dog is definitely still very symbolic of. I guess young Ford or Ford's uh, penchant for using others to do his dirty deeds, which I mean, it's exactly what happened in this case yet again. 
because uh, Bernard was like, I don't want to have to kill anybody anymore. And Arnold was like, it's okay, this won't be your fault, or Ford, rather. Um, it will say, it's okay, this will not be your fault. And he takes over, essentially. Right. So it's basically him doing the whole Greenhound thing all over again. Uh, while in the dream universe, I don't know what to call it at this point still, but uh, Ford is explaining to him, like, you know, I did what it is that... Um, Patrick Delos? James Delos? James Delos. James Delos wanted to do. The only thing is, or also did, the only thing is that I'm not planning on putting myself back into a, uh, a body. That's where the disconnect happens. That's where the yeah. the fidelity doesn't happen. He specifically stated, like, if I was to go back out into the real world, that only last a few days. Um, but yet, I don't know what difference that is now between... Um, I mean, okay. So I, I want to say is that there, there's here's an interesting thing. So we have Ford, who was partners with uh, uh, what was what was the original guy's name? Arnold. Arnold, thank you. And Arnold dies after having all these conversations with Dolores as he was trying to program Dolores. Right? He's trying to make her perfect. Then uh, Ford wanting to have his partner back programs a host to creates a host to look like his his friend and one-time partner arnold and then he starts to recreate memories for this arnold now this is different from what they that delos wants to do is where he's want to actually download his consciousness into the machine so that he could come back out of the machine and live forever now this is more of a homage i guess an homage to arnold and uh, as he explains it, that you know he didn't spend all he, he could only recreate Arnold from his memories. He needed more input, so he got Dolores, who spent a lot of time with Arnold, to also uh, put in her input of who Bernard should be if he wants to be closer to Arnold in likeness. And that's why we got in the last episode where Dolores was like, "No, that's not what you said, or that you didn't say it like that, or something like that." Yeah. Uh, how did how do you think that worked out? Like every time Arnold, oh no, I'm sorry, uh, Ford brought Dolores down there because he said eventually uh, the Bernard host uh, tricked or convinced um, Dolores that it was really Arnold. And uh, like, d did he wipe her every time after that, or because I mean she had to have some kind of memory to be like, hey, you didn't say it that way the first time around. Yeah, that would have had to have happened somewhere down the line because and we do know that she was getting wiped periodically. Mm -hmm. um, but the like we don't know exactly when these conversations are taking place. We're led to believe that this is still early on in the process of Westworld uh, becoming a a reality. Mm -hmm. So at, at this time frame. Is this is probably the Dolores that had like the mechanical innards as opposed to the more synthetic organic right. body, which coincidentally, uh, if you remember in the scene where we saw the bodies of the different Arnolds, uh, at least one of those was also mechanical. Mm. He had the type of face that looked like it was split down the middle for the components. Right. right. So that means that uh, you know before he became organic, Arnold himself was also. Uh, um, more mechanical based right. robot. Okay, which is interesting. So I just I just find that it's interesting that we have two versions of somewhat the same thing going on in the storyline, where you know you have the consciousness of a person as opposed to a per uh, host thinking that it is a person. Yeah, which might be the secret. It's, it's, that's what we're playing at right now. We're trying to figure out why uh, you know the human consciousness can't be transferred into a host. But how you can give fake memories to a host and make him think that he's the real person. Right. So that's a... So you know. then uh, w what we also find out is that the Valley Beyond is also essentially... I think what we're going to find out is that it's a, it's a giant fucking like uh, server farm where it has the, the, the consciousness of a bunch of rich people like downloaded into it. Anybody that could afford the privilege and is wait basically waiting until they perfect the technology to allow someone to be downloaded into a host body and live forever. They probably got Walt Disney bro frozen in there somewhere. Uh, more than likely. 
but I mean, is is that what you got too, or is? is yeah, they're definitely hinting that this has something to do with like the big project was, um, you know, immortality. Right. We know that for sure now, and like this could be some way of basically screwing over the humans, basically, and giving rise to power to the hosts instead, or figuring out how to transfer. Maybe. This is my personal theory. Maybe what they're going to find out is that it's not a matter of host versus human and vice versa. Maybe it's like there has to be some kind of hybrid that's mm. going to be like ni- neither host nor human, but something in between. Well, I mean, I mean, what exactly are Dolores and her host going to do when they get to the Valley Valley Beyond? Is, is, is their plan just to destroy it and kill all the people that have downloaded them, themselves in there? It sounds to me like they want to destroy it, but they don't really know what it is, I don't think. They, they don't, because yeah. as everybody's kind of referring to it, it's, 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 it's heaven. It's, you know, it's the it's the promised land. It's whatever you want to say. It's I mean, glory. It's yeah. glory, yeah. Um, what's his face um william you know ed harris william is is trying to make his way over there too uh or at least that's what i i assumed for whatever reason he stopped at this fucking uh the indian nation or ghost nation grabbing up uh mave's daughter storyline well those seem to have intersected they definitely were not having anything to do with each other but um William didn't know that because when he saw Maeve, he was like, oh, really, Ford? You're going to bring this one up now, too? And yeah. she was like, yeah, no, man. I'm, I'm just, not Ford. This is just me. Yeah, and then shoots him. Yeah. And he was like, what? And so, so once again, it comes up with the idea that Maeve can't control the people that have a prominent storyline. She can only really control people that have, that are NPCs more than anything basically yes so it seems like it's easier to get rid of the pawns lawrence um because he was more uh not quite self-aware but definitely deeper and he was on the edge of self-awareness until and then she finally pushed him she was like remember remember all the times that he did bad things to you and then fuck yeah that did not go over very well not for william it didn't no so but then again and this is what pissed me off about the episode you have all of these robots. There's no reason why they shouldn't have perfect aim. And yet they all missed vital organs. Well, okay. We saw when uh, when Bernard manipulated um, Stephen Ogg's character's uh, stats, he's like, we're going to give you perfect aim and you know make you a super uh, uh, empathetic guy and then take, take away your... your your anger or whatever it was super righteous yeah, yeah so like that so you i would say that it'd have to be with you know what is their stat on on aim well someone like mave who maxed out all of her stats should still have perfect aim true she should but we also see that when she's emotional things change that's true something's never changed whether you're human or host yeah apparently. so uh obviously whatever you know all the stuff that's going on with her daughter she should have been able to you know control the the ghost nation people but the that that stuff is all you know backed up because of her emotions do you think did you get the feeling that with like with with william saying that oh you're bringing this part up again forward or whatever you're bringing this one up like he feels bad for what he did to mave and mave's daughter that one time a long time ago or he's just know. frustrated all all in, in general well, he is definitely frustrated, but if you remember from season one, it was the, t- the time that he went to kill Maeve, and Maeve did everything she could to protect her daughter, that he started to realize, oh, wait, maybe there is something going on now. Maybe the, t- the times are changing. Mm. So that's what started his new path to uh, go through the maze. Like oh, that, okay. That's when he began That's that true. I didn't mess. think about that. You're right. So she was very pivotal to... Uh, pivotal? Pivotal to his... Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, reinvigoration into, uh, you know, playing the game, so to speak. And now, I mean, the game that he's playing now is searching for the door. It's basically a way out. Um, And I'm kind of wondering if, like, him surviving all these gunshots are an indication that maybe he is himself also a prototype of a host-human hybrid. Ooh, and he doesn't know it? Maybe he doesn't know it, yeah, because like I said, there's two things that are tripping me out about William right now. 
The first one is when he goes to that one bar with uh, Lawrence and he patches himself up with that uh, med kit that right. looks like it was for patching up hosts. Right. I was like, I thought, I would have assumed that that was specifically engineered for fixing host bodies, not human bodies. But yet he uses it on himself. So either it's universal or there's something else there. And it's one of those things where he doesn't think about it because it's a, it doesn't look like anything to me kind of. Right. Um, or, and I forgot what my second point was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, yeah, like, um, well, oh, yeah. And my other point to that was there's also the fact that he looked like he was uh, having a, an issue with fidelity during his last conversation with his daughter where he couldn't remember some facts about their history correctly. That's true. So there's which his, his daughter there. wasn't even in this episode, which I thought was weird too. Yeah, like we don't know what's going on. All we know is that she was left behind with one other uh, NPC, basically eating beans. Mm-hmm. Huh. So uh, I mean, as we saw what's his name, um, uh, Easemore? No, Lee. Lee Sizemore? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He shows up to quote unquote save Mave. Uh, basically after the, the the those mil paramilitary guys came in and shot up everybody uh, and the ghost nation took her daughter right yeah the ghost yeah. nation took her daughter uh lawrence gets shot up um uh william takes off like because he was able to i guess he's crawling away and uh mave gets taken away and um he says to save her because she's different Yes. Do you feel that maybe he's kind of falling for her kind of thing? I don't think he's falling for her. I think he maybe realizes that there's some kind of value in whatever's going on with her programming and wants to I mean, have this taken a look at. Artemis and Hector and Artemis be around somewhere too? Like, shouldn't is they it have Artemis been? B? Is that what you said? I said, I said, I said Artemis, Hector, and Artemis because there's two uh, Artemises. There's, technically, yes. There's the Japanese one and the Western world one. Yeah, we need to find a way to... Uh, discriminate between the two of them okay well you can say artemis a and artemis b that's fine i'll come up with something really really racist <laughs> I'm sure. yeah i'm sure you will <laughs> uh but yeah i mean shouldn't they have would they just like on the up up on the cliff like waiting for her because she said i need to do this on my own yeah and then well they got split up when ghost nation attacked oh, so okay. they were all still attacking i mean you had felix and the other guy and Lee that's right all together so I'm guessing that when they got rescued maybe they all were basically rounded up Mm. so that's why we haven't seen them I'm also thinking we're gonna see William's daughter show up to like help nurse him back to life that would be interesting that would make sense and she can give him a lot of grief for like leaving him leaving her behind Mm -hmm. um yeah I mean this episode did it, it opened up a lot more questions uh I don't know. Did you have any other points that you wanted to make? Uh, almost too many. There's a lot of stuff to talk about with this one, but it's uh, like we saw that uh, after Dolores and um, uh, Tedinator like get out of the uh, the lab with uh, her father's brain. I think they only took his his court his uh, yeah little cortex thing right. Right. Um, they come across Maeve on a stretcher. That's right. And, you know, she's still all shut up. And she was like, well, look at you now. And they're like, you know what? If I, I can end their suffering for you. And she's like, now I still got something I need to do. I and made she a promise. Like, yeah. So she's like, suit yourself. And uh, meanwhile, Lee's kind of hiding in the background because it was like, oh, I don't want to get shut up. But, uh, yeah, so they leave her alone. And so now I guess the point is to try to figure out where Dolores is going with the key, which is in uh, her father's uh, little brain. So, uh, you do you think the idea is that she plugs in the the her father's brain into whatever it is that's over at the valley beyond, and and it opens up? I mean, it's literally a password to get into everybody's uh, transcendent download, or what do you want to call it? I guess. I mean, like at this point, it's up for grabs. What could possibly be happening? <laughs> like, I can't even imagine. I'm sure whatever I come up with will not be even close. So, to- in the end. Let's just say, hypothetically, in the end, does it come down to Maeve being one side and, and Dolores being the other side and the two of them having to fight have to fight each other? Or do you, do you see it more of host versus human? Or 
I think there's definitely going to be a dichotomy between the two. One represents the light and the dark, and mm-hmm. they're going to be the opposites of what like you would think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think Maeve is actually going to be the one that's representing true freedom, uh, whereas Dolores is representing more of the system just trying to take control, mm. and she's just the embodiment of it. I, I see that. And I mean... You still got like hints of Ford talking about, well, this is the game, this is the new story, and then he also says something about this isn't my story anymore, this is your story now, Bernard. Yeah. So I really like what he said. He he quoted basically the Great Fire of Alexandria that destroyed like one of the the the, the library. Yeah. And he said the the first what thousand ten thousand years of of stories that were gone, and but it created one story, which is the story of the fire. Yeah. And that's essentially what we're saying right now. It's like before we had all these narratives, we had Westworld. Westworld is now on fire, and that's becoming the story. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, unless there's something else you really wanted to get off your chest, we might wrap it up here. Yeah, I think this is a good spot. Okay. Uh, If you have any questions or comments about what we had to say, uh, we'd definitely like to hear from you. Use the the hashtag, the Tedinator, whenever you're talking about Westworld right now, because... You got the you know the perfect killing machine in in Teddy, so uh, might as well use it and um, uh, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Mitchipedia G E R. John is also on Twitter as I'm at Magic Bollocks. The rest of Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter, at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. But until then, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Radio Network, saying always remember to. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.